Thank you for joining us this week on the Adult Explore the Bible Weekly Leader Training Podcast. This podcast is designed to help teachers prepare to lead a Bible study group using LifeWay's Explore the Bible Adult Resources. Each week, we review the Bible passage for that week's study, examine some questions teachers may face, and give some teaching tips along the way. I'm Dwayne McCurry, your host, and today I'm being joined by Bob Bunn. Bob's one of the members of the Adult Explore the Bible team. Bob, thank you for being with us today. Happy to be here, Dwayne. Thanks. We're going to be looking at session two for our study of Ezekiel and Daniel in the winter of 2021 through 2022. Uh, in this section, this session, we're looking at Ezekiel chapter 11. We're going to be look, looking at verses two through four and then 14 through 21. The main idea here is that God offers hope to those who trust him, even if it's in the middle of judgment. Uh, we've outlined it this way, called out, gathered, and sanctified. Verses 2 through 4 are the, uh, is the idea of called out. Verses 14 through 17 is gathered. And verses 18 through 21, we're using the, the title sanctified. In verses 2 through 4, Ezekiel was taken in a vision to the east gate of the temple where he decried the advice the leaders had given to the remaining residents in Jerusalem. We've got to remember the first deportation has taken place. That's Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. The second deportation is taking place, which is Ezekiel. There's a third deportation that'll take place later on. It hadn't happened yet. And that's when the temple is destroyed is during that third one. So the temple is still, still there when this is taking place in Ezekiel 11. Uh, the leaders were making the false claim that the people left in Jerusalem by the Babylonians were now safe and would rebuild the city. As believers, we are called to present the truth in the face of false hope. Second point, verses 14 through 7, 17, excuse me, is that Ezekiel addressed the people of Israel in exile, noting that many felt far from God and abandoned. Ezekiel declared that God would one day restore Jerusalem, bringing back a remnant who would possess the land once again. For us, we have to understand that we find hope in the promises of God's salvation. Verses 18 through 21, Ezekiel called on those who would someday return to remove the idols and worship of false gods. God would give them hearts sensitive to him, and they would obediently follow him as their God. Ezekiel warned that those who continue to reject God, that they would face God's judgment. For us as believers, we can learn from this, this part of the, of the study that we're called to obediently follow and worship God alone. Bob, how might we be tempted to view our circumstances as a confirmation of our perceived ideas? Like the ones here, we see that they understood that they're still in Jerusalem, so they're the righteous ones. Right. It should come as no surprise to any of us that, that our human nature can trick us into thinking that we're the ones who are always right. Uh, it's hard for us sometimes to to imagine scenarios where, where our interpretation is not correct or our way of doing things isn't right. Uh, sometimes it happens in the church. Sometimes it just happens in families or in relationships or, or in all kinds of things. We just tend to think that we, we have it all together and that we're right. Uh, I was reminded of a quote I heard in one of my theology classes in seminary where, where uh, it talks about people that look into the well to try to see Jesus and all they see is their own reflection. And so that's that's sort of how 
these leaders were in Jerusalem. They were looking into a well, but they were only seeing what they really wanted to see, what they expected to see. Uh, the struggle with, with really that, that circumstance thing and, and seeing things, being tempted to, to view our own circumstances the way we want to see them, is that we forget who's actually, who's actually making the rules. Um, there's two options. We can make the rules ourselves, or we can understand that God is the one who ultimately makes the rules. The leaders in Jerusalem at that time that Ezekiel was dealing with, they had missed that point. They thought that they were making the rules. They thought that they were the ones in charge. They thought that their interpretation was the one that was actually solid. And God said, no, 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 no. That's not how it's going to work. And so if they made the rules, their logic made perfect sense. Uh, the phrase that, that, uh, that was going around at the time was that they were like meat in a pot, you know, and that, that they were, that meant that they were secure, that the walls of Jerusalem were, were, were around them and that they were, they were secure and that they were safe and that they were in the right. They had the temple, they had the city, they, they had not been taken away. And God said, no, uh, that's not how it's going to work. Ezekiel, I want you to prophesy against them. I want you to, and he actually uses the word prophesy twice, which gives it special emphasis in the Hebrew language. Uh, this was serious to God. So these guys had completely missed the mark. They thought they knew what was going on. And God was straightening them, straightening them out and saying, no, that's not how it works. There's something else going to, there's something else behind the scenes that I'm doing that you cannot see and that you don't understand. And if that you don't straighten up, uh, things are going to get even worse than what you, what, what you can imagine. You mentioned the three captivities. Um, you know, they'd already seen two deportations. There was another one coming, and it was going to be worse than the other three, the other two. Um, and, and God was going to devastate the city. Um, and so they had no reason to be secure. They had no reason to feel like they were, like they were safe. And they had no reason to arrogantly assume that just because they were still in Jerusalem, the people that God had deported to Babylon were, were worse off than them. And we'll talk a little bit about that, I think, as we go through the chapter and through the lesson. But here's the thing. The book of Proverbs, a famous, familiar passage, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, don't lean to your own understanding. <laughs> in all your ways, acknowledge him. He will make your path straight. That's the key to making sure that we don't fall into this trap that we remember who makes the rules, that if we don't lean to our own understanding, we will have a better chance of keeping our eyes focused where they need to focus. Um, the, the people in the leaders in Jerusalem believed that because they were close to Jerusalem, they were close to God. The people who were far away from Jerusalem and far away from the temple, they were far away from God. That's not how God describes it. That's not how things work in his agenda. He wanted what he called in verse 19, integrity of the heart, a unity, um, bringing together the people and the people with their God. That was his idea of success. That was his idea of security. And keeping, making sure that we don't follow our own way and our own definitions of who's in charge and, and who makes the rules, that will go a long way toward helping us out in this way. Yeah, they're not alone in making that assumption. Uh, um, you know, uh, six months ago, we were studying Job and Ecclesiastes, and I'm reminded of Job's friends who they thought Job must be sinning, but we're, we're okay because it's happening to us, but yeah, uh, yeah. that was not the case. No. Again, human nature can be very deceptive. Uh, we see this vision that takes place where he visits Jerusalem, 
What should we make about this particular vision that takes place? Yeah, there's some there's some discussion among theologians. They don't necessarily agree on whether you know he was literally taken to Jerusalem or this was another vision. Visions are a big deal in Ezekiel, as, along with object lessons, and um, and just um, this is probably his primary teaching tool is a vision. Uh, and some of the weird things that God asks them to do as far as an object lesson and living things out. So visions are a big deal. But here's the thing, whether that's a vision or whether he was literally there, and I think our curriculum line and, and my personal belief as well is that this was a vision that God had transported him spiritually, not physically to Jerusalem. Uh, regardless, uh, we don't want to miss that. The, the key point is what God is actually saying through him uh, throughout scripture. And throughout prophecies and in every other part of scripture, the, um, the method that God uses should never surpass the message, the message that God provides. The method that God uses should never surpass the message that God provides. And so we have to figure out what the message is. And the message quite clearly is here that, that there's, it's really a two-sided message. One is judgment and one is restoration. And the people who were in Jerusalem didn't understand, and actually probably the people in the exile didn't understand either, exactly what God was was doing, what he was up to. The, the folks who were secure in the city, and I use secure sort of in air quotes, if they thought that they were good because they were close to the city, they were close to the temple, as we mentioned earlier. The people who were far away in Babylon who had been exiled, they probably really felt like they were under the gun. They probably felt like they were being punished which they were, <laughs> but they probably felt like they were isolated, that they were alone, that God had abandoned them. And God was saying, no, 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 please understand. You are the ones I'm going to embrace. There's going to be a remnant come from you that's going to return to the land. And these folks who think they're so safe and so secure in Jerusalem, they're not going to be around to see that day. The folks who think they're like meat in a pot, they're going to be destroyed. You are the ones who are going to turn your hearts back to me, and I'm going to bring you back. Uh, both physically to the land that he had promised them, but even more importantly, spiritually, that their hearts were going to change. They're going to trade in these hearts of stone for hearts of flesh. There's going to be a spiritual revival uh, in their lives. And so, you know, that, that restoration um, for them would have brought hope, whereas the message that uh, for the folks who were still in Jerusalem was, was one of judgment, and it was very, very real, but so was the message of hope. And, and I've, been, I've been going through a, a Bible reading plan this year, and it's kind of in that stretch where I'm going through the prophets. And, you know, there's some, sometimes that's good, sometimes that's bad. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but here's one of the things I've really noticed, and maybe it's because I've been working through Ezekiel here with, with, as an editor as well, is this whole time and time and time and time again, God refers to this restoration, to this, to this redemption, to this bringing people, his people, his people from the ends of the earth, from hither and yon, from all over to back to his land, back to his place, bring his people to his land. And sometimes it's speaking literally toward what will become the decree of Cyrus. And, in, in, you know, after 70 years of exile in Babylon, um, King Cyrus is going to say, okay, you can go home. Sometimes he's referring to that. Sometimes he's, he's got a more of a messianic tone to him pointing to the last days when, when everything is going to be made right once and for all. But there's always this idea of God has never abandoned the people who are not necessarily what you would consider close. 
the folks who are in exile, that there's always that remnant and he's promised to bring them from wherever they are back into his graces, back into his favor, back into his presence. And that's a huge deal for the people who were in Babylon at the time, but it's also a really huge deal for us as well, because we're among that remnant and we are his people. Uh, it would have been inconceivable for some of these folks in Ezekiel's day to understand our context as Gentiles, <laughs> who, you know, that, that we have, that we have been welcomed into this family, but that's exactly what God is saying. And so his promise, uh, his promise to, to bring everyone back together to, to restore his people is also a promise to us when we feel alone, when we feel abandoned, when we feel like we've been, we've been isolated or in exile, God is still saying to us, hey, I'm still here and I'm still working in your life and you can still trust me. And that's an important thing for us to think about um, how, how, how this message would have been heard differently from someone who was Jewish and someone who's a Gentile. Absolutely. At that time period. And we forget that this was written to a, to a Jewish community who needed to stop and realize that, that judgment has a purpose. And part of that purpose is God bringing about his kingdom. Exactly. And that kingdom is different than how we understand it. That brings us to this other question I have. We have this idea of the promised land. He's going to return them to the promised land. A question that we may need to address is how are the promised land and the promise of salvation connected? Well, for again, going back to a Jewish audience for, for his, for Ezekiel's readers and the people he was preaching to, they would have been essentially synonymous um, from the time that Abraham, that God led Abraham into the promised land and, 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 gave him that land, even though they really didn't take possession of it for hundreds of years later, that was their, that was their mile marker. Their, that was their tangible uh, symbol that they had a special relationship with God, that they were unique in their relationship with God compared to all the other nations around them. And the land, and later the temple that was part of the land, would have been the things that they could, they could literally point to and say, hey, this is how we know that, that we are God's people, that we are, we are the ones that he is, he's working among and, and working within. The problem was that they, they rebelled against God, even though they had the land, even though they had the temple. Uh, they, they had, you know, the nation had divided into two. The northern kingdom had gone its way. The southern kingdom had gone its way. But neither one of them sustained that, that, that covenant relationship with God. And so when they rebelled against him and God finally sent judgment, he took them away from the land. The Assyrians scattered the northern kingdom to, to the far reaches of the known world at the time. And then, of course, the, the Babylonians came in uh, a couple hundred years later and, and did the same thing. They, they transported all these Jews to Babylon, deported them. Uh, Ezekiel was a part of that, grout, that, that group of people that had to do that. So the separation from the land was almost, in their minds, a separation from God. The salvation on the other hand, would have been a return to the land. If they would have, uh, if they got the chance to come back, then they would have felt like they had been restored to God's good graces and that they were living under his favor again. Um, again, the, the leaders who were living in Jerusalem at the time, they had this all mixed up because they were so, they were so wrapped up in this idea of the land and the fact that they were still living on Jewish turf that they missed the internal stuff. The, the external stuff was good. <laughs> they couldn't see any reason why God would be mad at them. But they missed the internal. They missed the heart. 
they still had that heart of stone that he talked about later in the chapter instead of having a heart of flesh. And so for them, it made perfect sense to say that they were doing all right and that people who had been removed from the land were, were somehow sinners, <laughs> that they were somehow beyond hope, that they were somehow under God's judgment, whereas we're not because we're still living within the walls of Jerusalem. But again, God was going to come back and he was going to kind of flip the script on them and have a complete reversal of fortune in that, in that he was going to bring that remnant back. And one of the things he, I think, one of the things that came out of the, this, this captivity, and I don't know if it's, I, I believe it's all part of God's big plan, was that the, the people of Israel, to an extent, when they did come back, realized that they didn't have to have a temple. They didn't have to have a priesthood. They could have a personal relationship with God just by doing what was right and just by trusting him and rejecting the idols. Uh, we'll see that throughout the life of Daniel for sure, because he, yes. he never did see the temple. Uh, no, no, he never did. Yeah, it was long gone. And of course, he never came back into, as far as we know, never came back into to the promised land. But yeah, this God was teaching his people that, that a relationship with him is not necessarily, they had the rules, they had the law, they had the offerings, they had the sacrifices, they had that whole system. And later they had the synagogue. But the key is the heart. And where your heart is, that's what determines your whether you're in a good relationship with God, whether you're uh, whether you're solid with Him or not. And I think that's something that came out because when they did come back, uh, they they weren't nearly as inclined to follow idols as they used to be. Uh, yeah. They actually may have gone to the other extreme to avoid that. The memory verse for this session is Ezekiel eleven twenty, and it says, "They will be my people, and I will be their God." That's mm -hmm. different than they will live in my land. Exactly. Uh, that's a whole different thing. In fact, uh, the, the, the uh, group plans in both the leader guide and the daily discipleship guide point to that passage, Ezekiel eleven twenty, And they also point to pack item four and 14. Pack item four is a poster you put up on the wall and it's got Bible verses. On one side, it's the references from Ezekiel and Daniel. And on the other side, it's New Testament references that tie to that verse. Uh, for this particular uh, lesson, the reason we bring that up here is uh, Ezekiel eleven twenty. They will be my people, and I will be their God. is is uh, seen in Revelation twenty one seven, which is identified on the handout. Verse fourteen not only lists the verse, but also gives the Bible text. Uh, you know, I believe it's in the CSB uh, translation that's on that handout. But you could you could use that as a comparison with other translations as well. Uh, but it helps us compare uh, Ezekiel eleven twenty with Revelation twenty one seven, which gives us a deeper understanding of God's plan, God's thoughts. Uh, it encourages us to remain faithful to Him in our relationship. Uh, it helps us understand a little bit more fully uh, the continuity of Scripture and how, even though this is Ezekiel Old Testament passage, it's not inconsistent with what we find in the New Testament. God is always consistent, which reminds us of him working his plan and moving forward. But that's a place where we can teach that and a way we can teach that using that pack out. Mm -hmm. uh, we see this, this idea of sanctuary. You brought up sanctuary just a minute ago. Uh, unpack this idea of God being our sanctuary. It's really a fascinating concept um, of sanctuary. And 
again, one of the things when I used to teach uh, in, in Bible classes in, in you know Christian colleges and whatever, I always told my students, uh, you've got to know, you've got to find out what the original audience cares about. You got to you got to take them back and find out what their context is. You mentioned that a few minutes ago. Uh, if we if we really want to understand what God is going to say to us through something, we have to understand what He was saying to His original audience. And so we have to take a step back because when we think of sanctuary today, we tend to think of a safe haven or someplace where there's security or someplace where we're, uh, where danger is kept outside the walls. That's not exactly what uh, the Jewish readers of Ezekiel's time would have seen when, he, when they saw the word sanctuary. Uh, for them, the, the Hebrew word that's used there actually means sort of a holy place or a sanctified place, a place that is set apart. Uh, and it's it's kind of interesting that the word the word that's used is um, it, it shows up about seventy five times in the Old Testament. Thirty one of those times is in the Book of Ezekiel. So almost half of them, uh, a little less than half, show up in in this one single book. And so that kind of gives us a clue that hey, Ezekiel really cared about this idea of God being sanctuary for his people. So. Sanctuary was a holy place. They tended to think of that, again, as the temple, or in the older days, as the tabernacle. It may be extended as far as the city of Jerusalem, but it, it was geographic in their minds. It was a place. It was a building. It was, it was something like that. Um, but God, in, in, in Ezekiel, through, his, through the things that God told him and even the other prophets, when they used the word sanctuary, they didn't think of a physical place. They, they thought more of holiness. They thought of a state of heart, not a state of being, not a state of, or not a state of place. In that sense, the, the building was only holy because the God who lived in it was holy. The God whose presence it represented was holy, and he was the one that sanctified the place. He was the one that made it a sanctuary. And so um, the, you know, Ezekiel had already seen in chapter 8, I think it was, or maybe chapter 10, that that the, that the presence of God had already started to progressively leave the sanctuary, the, the temple. He had already seen it move outside the temple to the gates of the city. Later in chapter 11, after the verses that we're studying in this passage, he's going to see it move away from the gates of the temple all the way up to the Mount of Olives. The presence of God had already left the temple and it was on its way out of the city. And so these things that, that would have provided sanctuary or would have, or would have seemed like sanctuary to so many of these Jewish leaders, from a prophetic sense, had already lost its power. Uh, it already had, had already lost its sense of becoming a holy ground, a piece of holy ground, because the presence of God was no longer there. It, it, it had been separated from God, and so the fact that God had gone essentially was saying, "Hey, I've taken, I've gone with these people. Uh, I've gone with these people to Babylon, and so since my presence is there." I am still a sanctuary for them. I'm still a place of, of rest and a place of security and a place of hope um, that even if they feel abandoned because of my presence is there with them, they still have a sanctuary. And that's, in, that's an incredible concept. Um, it reminds me a little bit of, of, of Moses in front of the burning bush where God says, you know, take your shoes off because you're on holy ground. That presence of God is what defines holiness. It's what defines true, real sanctuary. I think about it in the terms of Paul, too. Uh, I've learned the secret to be content, and that 
contentment comes from being in the presence of God, not right. in the temple. And, and again, it, 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 this is really important for us as, as 21st century believers, because we can't get wrapped up into thinking we have to, we have to meet God at a certain place or a certain time, uh, a certain hour on Sunday morning or a certain time on Wednesday night or in a certain building with certain columns or certain stained glass. We can really relate to God anywhere. The, the early church started uh, in Jerusalem and was closely associated with the temple. They still had a lot of their Jewish roots that, that were important to them. But as the church grew and expanded and even was dispersed through persecution, they had to realize that, you know, God followed them wherever they went. Uh, they didn't need, they didn't need those city limits. Uh, and then, again, of course, Paul ended up taking it all over the place from to the, to the end of the known world. Uh, and there certainly wasn't a, Jew, a Jerusalem temple. And then, you know, by 70 AD, the temple was gone again anyway, because uh, the Romans had destroyed it yet again. So, you know, this, again, this whole idea of we serve a God whose who's omniscience and omnipresence, omnipotence, all come together. <laughs> they all, they all kind of work. We don't need to meet him at a certain place because he's omnipresent. We can trust in him because he's omniscient, uh, he's, he's omnipotent, you know, and it, 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 this, all those, all those qualities of his work together um, wherever we are. I think we like the idea. We like the idea of thinking God's only in one place because it makes him safe and he can't see what we're doing when we're not in that place. <laughs> There's probably some truth to that. Although I, I, I got to admit, I, as I was thinking about this, uh, this passage, uh, my mind went back. I've, I've had a chance to go on uh, mission trips to Haiti uh, three different times with each, each, uh, with each of my kids um, when they were seniors in high school. And the first time I went was in uh, 2012 with my oldest son. And we were serving in an orphanage and we slept uh, on mats on the roof of the orphanage. It was a flat roof, much more comfortable sleeping outside than trying to sleep inside one of the buildings. And I can remember laying on that mat and looking up and seeing the moon and thinking the same moon that was looking at me was looking at my family who was still in Kentucky or still in Nashville at the time. Uh -huh. And that was a comfort to me to know that, you know, that there was like, just like the moon was the same moon, the same God who was with me in Haiti was also with my family in Nashville. And that brought a sense of peace to me and a sense of, of gratitude that, that that's the big God that we serve. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, I think that's the God that, that Ezekiel wanted the Jews to see that he wanted those, those, those both the residents in Jerusalem and the ones in exile to understand that we serve a really, really big God and he really, really loves us. And he really, really wants to make a difference in our lives. And if we miss that, then we're just not going to, we're not going to experience him the way we should. That's a good place for us to finish this week's thought. Uh, Bob, thank you for joining us today. Absolutely. From time to time on this podcast, we mentioned different resources in Explore Bible Family. Uh, the Leader Pack, which is one of the things we mentioned today, the Commentary, Quick Source, that's just a few of them. You can find out more about all the Explore the Bible resources on our website at goexplorethebible.com. Thank you for listening to us this week, and we hope you'll join us next week. We'll be looking at session three, we'll be looking at Ezekiel chapter 20, verses 1 through 14. We'll be looking at this idea that God judges those who reject him as Lord. <laughs>